Hello, I'm Bishop Jeff Clements of the Northern Illinois Synod, and today it's my joy to welcome Pastor Jennifer Beamsley, pastor of St. John Lutheran Church in uh, Joliet, to talk about innovation and collaboration. And as we begin, I want you to know that um, we're not wearing masks at the moment. We have both tested negative today, we and we're both vaccinated and boosted, and so we're feeling pretty uh, safe at the moment. So, uh, Jennifer, Jen, welcome. It Thank you. It's great really to good see. to be here. I, I haven't seen you very often lately, and right. so it's really nice to see you in person and yeah. doing well. And I bring greetings from St. John and Joliet. We're doing well out there, so it's good to be here. Great. Yeah, um, you've been a pastor, you've been senior pastor of St. John since 2018, mm-hmm. and prior to that, you were on staff there from 2005 to yeah. uh, 2018, so you've been there quite a while. Yeah, it's my first call, my only call so far, wow. so yeah. That's, uh, yeah, and uh, you've got a couple of partners that work there. I do. Pastor yeah. Robin Caldwell and, and Pastor... Evan Mayhew. Uh, Evan Mayhew, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm very grateful to work alongside such wonderful colleagues. <laughs> uh, Jen, you were ordained in 2005, and you earned your MDiv, your Master of Divinity, from mm. Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago, LSTC. That's right. You are married to Chris. I am. And uh, you have two daughters, Anna, who's married to Zach, yes. and uh, Cecilia. That's right. So, great to have you uh, have you with us. So I've, I've got some questions prepared for you today, and I'm going to just read the first one since uh, uh, I want to get this right. We're hearing a lot of words like innovation and collaboration Mm. being used in relationship to the church. Could you talk about how you understand innovation and collaboration and how you're pursuing that uh, at St. John? Well, when I think about innovation, I think about the difference between innovation and adaptation. So for us, for a good example, it might be um, when the pandemic hit in... um, when we were aware of it in March of 2020, we did an adaptation. Instead of having worship inside of our sanctuary, we adapted to an online thing. But at that time, it wasn't really innovation. For me, innovation is a mindset change about something. Mm. So we thought, well, we need to worship, so we'll just do this online. But in the past spring, we put in a live stream system. And since then, we've been um, worshiping since April of 2021 inside of our sanctuary, but also we live stream our worship services. And so the innovation that we are growing into is that we have a worshiping community within our building, but we also have a worshiping community outside of our building. And so it's taken a mindset change to kind of figure that out. How do you nurture uh, a congregation that is not inside the walls? How do you Um, connect with people and help them to connect with one another? How do you deepen your faith when you're not inside the building? And so that's taken a completely different kind of mindset um, that what you see is not necessarily what is out there. Mm -hmm. And so anytime that we make a change, we think about, are we just adapting what our values are and how we're doing our ministry that God's given us to do? Or are we thinking beyond that and having a mindset change about it? And if we are, then what are the things that we need to put into place to make that happen? And where do we need to challenge ourselves into breaking out of maybe a way of thinking that served us very well, but maybe it's changed? So that would be something that we do. Um, As far as collaboration, I think we always have our own perceptions of how things are, but collaboration is pairing up or 
partnering with others, either um, other faith communities or the city in which you live, mm -hmm. and getting other people to tell you what they understand who you are, and then also entering into this relationship that might break open your own perception of what it is that you have to do, um, and also who it is that you are and who needs to be served. And I think that's a, a wonderful way to be because together we have a much bigger perspective of the world and and what we're being called to participate in. So who is St. John's uh, collaborating with right now? We collaborate a lot because of our food pantry. We have some, um, some natural collaborations that we do uh, both institutionally and also with people who come in from the community and um, serve at our food pantry, but really we're a community food pantry. Mm -hmm. And so we have really thought deeply about what is that and what do we need to do to be um, one of Joliet's places where people can come and receive dignity and respect and food for their table because they're food insecure. And it helps us to understand like what kinds of things are we projecting that we're not aware of mm -hmm. and that other people will come to us and say, you might not be aware of this. And so we have to be open to that feedback. And um, a lot of times people will tell us things that we didn't realize. St. John's serves a fairly sizable population with your food pantry. It's yeah, a big operation. It is a big operation. What we're doing right now is serving people on Saturday mornings. There's about 350 households that are served every Saturday. And that has um, gone up and down according to what's going on in the world and in our city and, and with the pandemic especially. And so that's been a real um, gift to be able to do that over and over and over again. One of the things with collaboration that we are very aware of is that we need to put into place people who speak different languages than we do. One of the things that we have become very aware of is that we are limited because we are an English-speaking congregation and we need to be able to also have the resources to speak Spanish to um, the people who come in and use our food pantry. Mm -hmm. And so that has been something that we've been collaborating about. Another uh, thing that we recently did in the past year is we were making decisions on how to serve uh, the food to people and what ways that they would like to receive it, what days they would like to receive mm -hmm. it. And this is just a really obvious thing, but instead of just making the decision ourselves, we surveyed the people who came in and said, what is helpful to you? What would you like to receive? What kind of food is helpful to you? How often would it be helpful to you to receive food to make ends meet? And so... Those are just some small examples so you've of made collaboration. A, a concerted effort to figure out what the needs of the community are and not just imposing your own thoughts. Right. I think so often we assume things on behalf of others, just generally speaking, yeah. as a human people. <laughs> and so we want to check ourselves on that. I think that's one of the things that Jesus talked a lot about in the Gospels is, is to in order to be in a relationship with others, you have to know where they're at. And... That means we humble ourselves and we learn from other people. One of the reasons, Jen, that I wanted to talk to you about collaboration is because um, in your time at St. John's, you've repeatedly made offers 
that are pretty wide-ranging, anyone in the Synod, if St. John's can be of help to you and to think about something, mm. um, you've made that uh, very clear to people. And I, you know, as bishop, I've deeply appreciated that because I think collaboration is so important. Um, what kind of resources do you think congregations in general have to share with each other? Every single congregation is uniquely made to serve in their place in a certain way. You know, nobody else can be who we are on Hennepin and Plainfield Road. This right. is what God called us to be. And then there's other people in other places that need to be uniquely who God has created them to be. And um, when we come together, sometimes we can do things together that we can't do all by ourselves. And I have this image that God is is asking us each to be fully and more and become more ourselves all the time. And sometimes that re, that really can come to life when you share that with other people. It it's a way of deepening faith when you do things with other people. You it's a it's a humbling experience. And you mentioned how we would say, if there's any way we can be a part of this, I think that's because we also yearn to have our own minds change sometimes about what's going on and to strengthen and deepen and expand what it is that God wants to be in our congregations. And I think that's a, a really wonderful kind of stance to have in the world. You know, I often talk about the job of any congregation, the job of a pastor, the job of a bishop, is to um, deepen the spiritual uh, maturity of a per to to help a person grow in spirituality, but also uh, to deepen that relationship that we have with Christ. Um, how do you see St. John's, or how do you see uh, yourself uh, fitting into expanding that, especially in ministries such as a food pantry, where you're not preaching to people necessarily, mm -hmm. but you're you're exemplifying what it means to be. A follower of Christ. Mm -hmm. I think it's a natural extension of our own deepening of faith and sometimes it's a doorway into it. You know, um, you were right to point out we don't um, have a requirement that people receive a Bible study in order to receive food. We are welcoming of all kinds of faith and uh, or agnostic people or whatever. I, for us, the commonality that we do is, is that we want to be, we want to be people who walk the talk. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's basically what we want. And so our value system is very simple and profound, I would say. And this has been very much so um, in line with the very beginnings of the food pantry back when we were on Herkimer Street, uh, it was created because people had a need and we were people who met needs. And And so um, May Ruth Hodgkin started this little pantry and it's grown and under the leadership of our food pantry directors and Pastor Robin, we know that dignity and respect is something that people um, have automatically received. Um, under Christ. And so that is what we want to reflect as well. And that's a value for us. Food becomes almost the conduit for that. Right. 
but it's also a need of the, of the body. And so we want to meet that as much as we can. So we've had many discussions in our leadership and with one another about what it is to have that kind of faith that this is what we need. The other thing that's really fun is we have always been given what we need. It's, we, we have this phrase, what's in the house? You know, what is it that we need? And also what we receive goes right back out the door. And this is in line with what we understand the parables to talk about mm-hmm. and, and the abundance of God. And so we work really faithfully at remembering that the abundance of God is always flowing. And so how can we just basically be the mediaries for that, mm-hmm. intermediaries for that? How can we receive it and give it away, receive it and right. get a, give it away over and over again? Sometimes when we uh, talk to congregations about what their mission is, we'll, we'll, I will say, you know, we know why God planted you here 150 oh. years ago. Why did God plant you here for today? And another question we often ask is, um, what, if, you, if this congregation ceased to exist, what would the community miss mm-hmm. about you? Um, and if a congregation says nobody's going to miss us at all, then we got a real problem. Right. Um, what are some other things that are that have become a part of the DNA of the congregation that you serve? The food pantry is long standing. Long standing. What else is is uh, at work there? Worship, a worshiping community. Mm-hmm. We are a place that we come together so that we can deepen our faith, so that we can go out and live that out in our own lives. And so we are striving to ask the question, especially this year, what do people need to be um, to deepen their faith? I'm hearing a lot of yearning for more Bible studies. You know, we have a lot of groups that their purpose and their direction is to meet so that they can check in with one another and, um, and to learn more about what it is to live on a daily basis through the highs and lows of life being, uh, and looking for God. Jen, often when we try a new thing or we change something, we'll experience failure. Now, one thing mm-hmm. I've tried to do in the Synod uh, is redefine failure. I really don't like the, I, I like the word failure. I want to encourage people to try some things. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. That's okay. It's not a failure. Uh, we don't have to hang our heads in shame. We can move on and, and say we tried that. It didn't work. And, and we're going to try something else. Failure, it's, it's a really negative word. Right. Um, But it all can also be seen as a type of a springboard to something that's helpful. You talked about some things didn't work. Um, What have you learned? What what do you do when something doesn't work? How what how do you deal with that in your context? You know, face plants are never fun. (laughs) And failure, though uncomfortable, is a fact of life. I mean, if you if you look back in your own life. I would think this would be true of a lot of people that we learn the most from the things that we fail at or that we have done wrong or that that just didn't pan out in the way that we wanted it to. And yet, if you look back on your life and you do the work, you think, oh, I learned so much from that time. And I, 
And I think there's precedence for this in the in the Gospels. That's Jesus, exactly how I yeah. want to redefine failure. I yeah. want it as a learning experience. Yeah, it is. It's a learning experience. And I think this is the way that we learn. And a little suffering um, oftentimes opens up our hearts to be more humble about <laughs> what we don't know. And and there there's a problem. I mean, there's this system of perfectionism uh-huh. that is self-serving and not helpful yeah and this is something that has been brought to our awareness as as people and it's it's rampant and it needs to change and so if we can be a learning community then what we've done is we've opened ourselves up into different perspectives and also gives us maybe more permission to keep the most important things important um so who holds you accountable to do that? Because me I, personally, uh, yes. I have a team of twelve thousand people who <laughs> have to work on my ego. <laughs> because I know that you strive per- for perfection. I am better. I would like to say I'm learning to strive for the process of learning more than perfection and it's a it's going to be a lifelong learning so i will always tend towards perfectionism in some areas some areas i don't care about perfectionism but did you say some, though that it would be helpful to your life to get knocked down a peg once in a while i think that's true of me and everybody else <laughs> don't you well no there's some humble people who actually wouldn't need that it is something that i i do work on and i have done a lot of um inner work on that, whatever, you know, but I, I think as a, as a leader, if we can give the people around us are in our faith communities, the permission to try something and be like, yeah, go for it. And the worst that can happen is it didn't work. And then we'll just go back and say, well, why didn't this work? And that's exactly why I think it's important to redefine that word failure. Yeah. It's too negative. Do you, I think we should embrace the negativity and say, so you failed. Maybe what we need is more grace in you know, failure. Like, well, yeah, we're, I think we're saying the same thing. Maybe it's just that I don't like the word failure and you do. Yeah. Oh, I have the, come the to have a, a good friend. Maybe I do more face plants than you do. <laughs> I wouldn't count on that. <laughs> Maybe your mine are more public and louder. <laughs> yeah, so we were saying the same thing. We just didn't like the word. You know, the other part that I think about that is... Um, when it comes to failure or face plants or something that didn't work, I think we can practice what we preach. We are loved regardless of the failure, right? Yeah, that That is the number one thing that we say, that God loves these people and this place. And God wastes nothing. So even a failure or something that didn't work out, God is going to use that and turn that into some kind of learning that's going yep. to only deepen who we are and our understanding yeah. of who we can become. Yeah, I agree. And that is the whole stories of the Bible have tons of examples of that. Like if you look at Jacob, I mean, really, you cannot really <laughs> talk about face plants without talking about some of the people in the Bible who experienced these things. And yet God kept coming to them and saying, okay, let's try this way. And they learned as well. And even when they didn't learn, 
God used that as well. Not that God's causing the failures or the face plants or setting us up for failure. I don't believe God does that, but I do believe that nothing is wasted in God's world, and that's the world we live in. And so yeah. we can we, we can have story be upon story of God we using the, the most deeply flawed people right. to achieve the greatest things. And I and I think one of the things about failure that we get a little nervous about is that we think, well, then anything goes, and we can be sloppy about things. But I think faithfulness means that we do the best that we can at any given moment that we're given. And that's what we trust, that God will meet us there. And that when um, we're not enough for the moment, somebody else is. I mean, none of us do does this alone. And this is not about our egos. This is about the story of God. And so if it's about the story of God and reflecting that in the world, how could we go wrong? We will go wrong. But how could it not how could it not be God's in the end of it? And we it? trust it to produce something. Yeah, if not now, then down the road. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the pandemic has created a sort of liminal space, mm-hmm. a kind of there but not yet, where we've experienced a collective trauma and we're starting to see glimmers of hope, but we're certainly not out of the woods yet. Uh, how do we take advantage of this time that we have been given? And can we begin to see God actively working? Well, God is already actively working everywhere, always non-liminal times and liminal times. So I believe you just passed that, the quiz, <laughs> right? That if we were doing a children's sermon, that would be the answer, right? But I, I feel like when you're in the middle of things, it's always hard to see the end of it yet, and it's o- it's only after the fact that you kind of look back and you say, ah. I didn't see it then, but I see it now. And so this time takes a lot of trust. And I think more than one thing can be true at once. There's a lot of, um, it's true, there's a lot of feeling of scarcity and discord and all these things are happening. But at the same time, doors are opening too and we've been shaken out of our I think for many people, this has been true for so long, but maybe collectively the spotlight has been shown on some things that we can say, I wonder if we need to change in this way. And so I feel like liminal space can be a gift, but it's not always pleasant to go through. And we're experiencing that. And yet it's very hopeful in some ways that a people of God can come together and ask good questions and wonder together and try some things and see and learn things that we have not learned. Yeah, if we can take a step back and look at the unprecedented opportunities that we've been given in this very uncomfortable time, a time that we did not seek, we don't want, we want it to go back to feeling something normal, and yet we know that that's, we're not going back to what was. Um, if we could get excited about what is to come, where we're going, um, I think we'd be doing some, some good. Yeah, and I don't even think we have to have the feeling of excitement, but maybe rather a stance of faithfulness. What is it, what is life now and how can we participate in it in whatever it is that we've been given? And I it sounds very serious, and I'd much rather have exciting fun, but 
I think great joy can come out of a, a moment where a high amount of trust in God and one another can open a space up where we are able to see how God is here now yeah. and, and respond to it and be faithful to that. And that can be a quiet kind of joy that feeds the world, you know, and, and helps us to open ourselves up to things that we might not have opened ourselves up had we not had our feet in the fire. You know? Yeah, after I'm long gone, if, if I am remembered for nothing else than being faithful, that'll be mm -hmm. just fine with me. Mm -hmm. um, you've used two words that, that are incredibly important in my life. Joy is one, and uh, faithful is the other. Mm -hmm. I think we're called to be faithful. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people equate innovation with uh, changing absolutely everything a kind of setting everything aside for the sake of what's new and shiny, mm. right? I don't think that's uh, necessarily all that helpful. Can you share how you utilize the place of tradition as you work with your congregation's leadership? Mm. What's the place of tradition? You know, Lutherans are pretty good on tradition. Oh, it can, it, it can be very helpful. It, we, we're in a lineage of the faithful who have gone before us, and we receive their learnings and their their understanding of God and the world and I think that is a wonderful legacy to receive and nobody forges their own way alone we are all interconnected so when I think about tradition I think about what a um, our food pantry director said to me once you know she said you don't make every decision based on tradition, but it is really, really important. And so you listen to it and you wonder about it and you you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater either. Another analogy I often think of is if you were going to build a new road, you don't want to rip up all the roads all at once. Otherwise, you can't get around, you know, so you have to be... Um, discerning about what you do and what you don't do. And you have to look at your values and wonder what is the value that we're going to concentrate on and choose in, in this moment. And sometimes it's a polarity. You have two values that are equally important. And then you have, you have this great discussion about, well, what is it that we're going to do here yeah. now? I, I think it's been a very interesting time to grow as a people of God, to be humble about what we have not done and to also be joyful about how we have met this time and place in this world and to be a voice of hope in a world that wants to give us a lot of different narratives and tell us this is what's going to give you meaning. Right. And, and yet we have a different story. We tell a story of how Life comes out of suffering, and life comes out of death, and life comes out of crazy times. And, and to live that out is what it is to be faithful. Now, ultimately, I think that any meaning that we find is always going to be rooted in the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the only find, place I'm going to find any kind of meaning. Yeah. How about one more question? Okay. 
Because innovation often means going places that we've never been before and trying ministries that we've never done before. Uh, anxiety amongst people can become a bit high and it sets a stage for conflict. Uh, this in turn can keep leaders from engaging in innovative strategies. How do you see the role of conflict in facilitating innovation? I think conflict can be generative, actually. I think it can produce um, life in a congregation. You don't want to go seeking it all the time, but I, I think it will naturally arise anytime you have a group of people doing something that feels very important. And a lot of times, uh, I alluded to this earlier, you have two conflicting values that, that make it difficult to make a choice or decision or to go forward. But if, if a congregation can have a high level of trust of one another and the space to work it out, then you can really get to the heart of what is important and what God might be calling us to do. And I think that can be good conflict. That's mm -hmm. generative conflict. Right. It's, it's giving life to the community. There's also destructive conflict, and that's when we come with thinking there's going to be a winner and a loser or um, something that I really want my way and other people's way isn't as good enough, you know, and, and we all come to conflict with what our own needs are and will they be met, you know, and that's just the way we are as humans. And so I think that's where the anxiety comes from because we're wondering, will I be heard and understood in this? And so the process by which we approach conflict is really important in our congregations and the trust level is really important in our congregations. Yeah, that, if there's no trust, then conflict is very hard to navigate. I've enjoyed a high level of trust in congregations that I served and um, we were able to work through whatever minor conflict there was, and it was generative. I think that um, pastors who have changed calls and come into congregations during this pandemic time have had a very difficult mm. trouble uh, time because they haven't been able to build the trust prior to the uh, pandemic, and leader leading in this time has been... Um, uh, so difficult because there's been a low level of conflict virtually everywhere and uh, just been yeah, for, hard. Yeah, for St. John, one of the things I'm so very grateful for is having been there for a long time and you, you tend to know one another and so you can give one another the benefit of the doubt on mm -hmm. any given day and a very, to exemplify God's grace towards one another and just human grace towards one another too as a reflection of God's grace is so important when things feel um, unknown to the point where we feel maybe a little anxious about it. But if there's that trust because you have done life together and you have seen one another and the and you know you've owned your mistakes and apologized for them and if you haven't and and that's hurt that's been hurtful then to acknowledge that and to learn from it i think these are qualities of generative conflict that i am still learning and will continue to learn and i learned them because we are human and we're always going to have um, situations where we could have done something different 
and we're learning how to do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, Jen, it's been great talking to you today. I really appreciate you taking this time with us to talk about innovation and collaboration. You uh, uh, do well at both of them. I'm excited to see where ministry continues to take you and uh, St. John's and those that you work with. Well, so thank you so much. Thank you. I, I do have to say it's not because I, I have knowledge of this, but because I have a lot of people around me that help me learn. So it's been, thank you for inviting me today. Hope what I've said been somewhat helpful. And if not, thanks for sticking with us. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Until next time, we are walking with you.